right. Turn, if you would, tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As you're finding your place, I just want to share a couple of quick stories with you that are meant to be an encouragement to us. Uh, most of you, I think, got to meet uh, the missionary who was here Sunday night, Brother Lou Mai, a missionary to Thailand. And I had a chance to go to breakfast with him yesterday and get to know his story a little bit more. And uh, his family came to the United States whenever he was seven years old. So that was 35 years ago. And uh, his family still is not saved. His mother, his father, and his four younger siblings, none of them are saved. He was saved at the age of 10 as a result of the bus ministry of a small church there in Wichita, Kansas. And uh, so, again, it was at the age of 10 that he was saved. And then he uh, said that throughout his high school years and the early college years, there was really no one in that church that was his age, but yet the Lord just continued to work in his life. And then whenever he got a little bit older, he got away from the Lord a little bit. But as uh, certain circumstances took place in his life, he said he remembered the lessons from Sunday school and how that impacted his life and how that drew him back to the church. And so after all those years of being involved or being a part of the bus ministry, he is now going to the land of Thailand to serve as a missionary full time. I thought that was a pretty encouraging testimony because sometimes it can seem like what's being done and the effort that's being made, it can seem to be yielding no fruit. And then today I had the chance to visit with another missionary uh, going to Japan, and I always send out a questionnaire and then I read over that and just, you know, decide if we're going to have them in. Anyways, scheduled them to come in for November, so they'll be here in November, but uh, in reading their testimony, he was saved as a result of the bus ministry in Joshua, Texas. His family is not in church, and so here he is, saved in the bus ministry, kept in church basically by the people of the church because the family was not really involved in that process, went to Bible college out in California, and now he and his wife at age 26 and their small child, they are on deputation, and God willing, in eight months, they're going to Japan to be missionaries. I think that's pretty pretty good to be reminded of. And for those of us who are not a part of the bus ministry, for those of us who are not teaching the, the kids' Sunday school classes, it's a good reminder for you and I to be praying for those ministries because we have no idea what kind of impact it can have. We may not ever see it. We may be dead and gone before all those seeds really begin to bring forth fruit, but it's worth it. I know that somewhere there is someone who is glad that they were involved in the bus ministry 30-something years ago in a small church in Wichita, Kansas. So I thought it was a neat testimony, and in a few moments it will kind of tie into what I'll be preaching. And so I hope the message is a help tonight. I know it's going to take some time to get to the point, but again, I, I think it's worth our time, obviously. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight, and Lord, I'm thankful for a comfortable place for us to assemble. God, I pray that you would help us. I know that it's been a, a hot week for people. I know that it's been a long week already. 
But God, I pray that you would help us tonight to just be able to concentrate for a few moments uh, on your word. God, I pray that you'd use it to just remind us of, of something so simple, and yet we can overlook it sometimes if we're not careful. So I pray that you'd help me to communicate your word in a clear fashion. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. So three weeks ago, we began looking at chapter 14, and in doing so, it was two weeks ago that we watched as the Apostle Paul began to address the subject of tongues there in the church of Corinth. We know that this was a so-called spiritual gift that the Corinthian believers had completely distorted, that had complete, they had completely perverted it. Uh, there was a place for a time for there to be the gift of tongues, but what the believers in Corinth were doing is they had turned that gift into something that edified themselves rather than edifying the church. And what Paul reminded them of was this in those opening verses of chapter 14, that that spiritual gift was always intended to edify the body, always intended to edify the believers. It was never meant to be about the individual. And so two weeks ago, I tried to remind us that no matter what our spiritual gift is, it has always been designed by God that it be used for him and not for us. So that's what we talked about two weeks ago. And then last week, we watched as Paul continued, obviously, dealing with the subject of tongues. And, and as he made his way through his comments, he said that everything about language is designed to communicate to other people. There is really no purpose for a language or a dialect if it does not communicate, if it does not send forth some kind of a message. And so as we made our way to verse number 12, he spoke of their zeal for spiritual gifts. And he said this, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. And so essentially what Paul was saying is this, you have a desire for gifts, you have a desire to use your gifts. So how about you try using a gift that actually edifies the church? So we see this theme continuing in the verses. What we do by way of our gifts ought to be edifying the church. It ought to be helping people. It ought to be building people up. It should never be about us. And so last week, I just tried to challenge us that whatever the gift is, have we considered the fact that our gifts ought to be about the church and nothing else? It ought to be about increasing and establishing and, and grounding others in the faith and in their walk with God. And so... Again, as we get into the message tonight, guess what Paul is going to be talking about? He's going to be talking about tongues and how they're supposed to be used, what it's supposed to look like, and then in the end, hopefully, we'll get something out of this that we can use on a regular basis. That in mind, tonight I want to begin with just a quick thought, just a principle I want us to think about, and then we will get started. The principle or the thought is this that we're going to start with is not everything is always as it seems. Would you agree with that? Amen. Not everything is always as it seems. Now, that in mind, here's what I would like us to think about. Sometimes a gesture that seems small can actually be significant. And sometimes a gesture that seems big or significant can actually be meaningless to the individual because things are not always as they seem. You understand what I'm saying? All right, some of you look like you don't, so let me just throw this out here real quick, and then we'll move on. Every once in a while, 
I'm here at the church, and I'll be thinking about many different things, but Susie will be one of the things that I'm thinking about. So every once in a while, here's what I like to do. I like to just surprise her with a text message. I like to tell her that I love her. I like to tell her that I still think she's pretty. I try to make it sappy. I try to make it sweet and all that other stuff. And when it's just completely out of the blue, when it's completely random and not something she is expecting, though it was a text that only took a couple of minutes for me to type out, you know what she does? She always responds with something like, Oh, baby, thanks so much. Y'all are highly impressed, I can tell. If you don't ever do that, try it, okay? Your spouse may actually appreciate it. She may like it, all right? So anyways, a small gesture. It didn't cost me anything. It didn't take a lot of my time. Just a very small gesture that actually meant something to her. At the same time, this has happened in our marriage as well. We have been fussing about something. Can you at least identify with that? All right, you've been fussing with your spouse about something, and so you can identify with that. Susie and I have certainly had our moments where we've been fussing with each other. And when we've been fussing with each other, here's what I have done before, sometimes motivated out of guilt. I have decided to do something nice for her that did actually cost me money. You ever done that? Yes, it's called a peace offering. It's called a love offering of some sort, okay? And so as a result of the argument, as a result of the fussing, whatever it was about, I have presented her with something that was a bit more significant by way of value at least than a text message, and I have received a response something like this. Thanks. Didn't have to do that. I understand, but... Trying to get back in good with you, you know. I'm trying to, to show my, 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 my sorrow here for what I've done wrong. And, and, and sometimes it's been well received and sometimes it was pretty cool by way of reception. But, but you get the point, right? Just a simple old text message when things are going good. Very minor, very insignificant. But it, it's very appreciated. And yet there have been times that we have done other things that would be bigger. And yet it wasn't as appreciated. Enjoy it or not, okay? That's the only illustration I've got. I'm trying to show us a principle here. Now, we'll get back to that in a couple of moments, but we're going to look in verse number 13, and we're going to make our way through a few verses. But here is Paul writing on the subject of tongues, and he says in verse number 13, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Now, this is very important, all right, that we understand all this, Because if you've ever been affiliated with the charismatic movement, you know that 1 Corinthians 14 is not a portion of Scripture they deal with on a regular basis. Because it kind of shoots their theology and their doctrine and their practice completely out of the water. Okay. So we need to understand this because, as I said last week or two weeks ago, we are living in a day where even places that used to not be charismatic have become very charismatic in their religion, in their worship, or in their walk with God, okay? So we need to understand this because of how it's infiltrating even the ranks of Baptists. And, and so he said, 
in verse number 13, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. So what is Paul allowing for in verse number 13? He was allowing in verse number 13 that there were those who might have the ability to speak in an unknown tongue, a tongue that maybe they did not understand, because again, the gift of tongues where a language or a dialect was spoken, that was a gift that was in place in the early days of the church. But even in the early days of the church, here's what the Apostle Paul wanted to be clear on and wanted to be understood in the minds of the believers is this, is that if an unknown tongue is present, then what you need to be praying about and what you need to be earnest in is asking God that there would be an interpretation for the tongues that have been spoken. Never has it been appropriate in the life of the church or in the life of a believer for there to be unintelligible jibber-jabber without some kind of interpretation given because otherwise it's not communicating anything to anyone. You remember that from last week's message? All languages and dialects have the intention and they serve the purpose of communicating truths. And so Paul said, where there may be tongues, here is what you should also be seeking after and praying for is that there would be an interpretation. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. Well, how do we know? Well, notice in verse number 14, he said, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. He said, if I pray in an unknown tongue, and we'll see this in a couple of moments, that the Apostle Paul certainly had the ability to speak other languages. But he says, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays or my inner man prays, but my understanding, my knowledge and my awareness of what I am praying, he said, it is unfruitful. It's producing nothing in my life. Now, why is, that a, why is that an important statement for you and I to be aware of? Well, how many of us have ever heard someone say something like this? I know some of us have. But somebody has said something like this, I just have a private prayer language. Listen, that, that, it's, it's a charismatic thing that is so prevalent. I'm telling you, if you've never been in a charismatic church... It's hard to understand this, okay? But my exposure to the charismatic church for the year that I was a part of it after high school, I'm telling you, in dealing with this, I thought, Paul, did you join the same church that I was a part of for a while? Because it sounds like he is writing about Norman Tabernacle, where I was a part of the church for about a year. Okay, he says in verse number 14, if, if I pray in an unknown tongue, he said, my spirit is praying. Well, okay, again, that's talking about a reference to the inner man. It's talking about the breath. It's talking about the wind. And and what he is alluding to, and we'll see this again in just a couple of moments, but what he is alluding to is this, is that people can get so worked up emotionally that things can come forth that really don't make any sense to the one who is saying it. It happens all the time. So again, he said, if I were to pray in an unknown tongue, well, I might be saying things. I might be having words come out of my mouth. There might be some things happening, but he said, I don't understand any of it. So this idea of a prayer language that the person praying doesn't even understand, 
Well, it's completely unbiblical. It's a complete waste of time because it accomplishes nothing for the one who is doing it. And so what does Paul say is the solution to such a scenario? Well, notice what he said in verse number 15. He said, well, what is it then? What does that mean? It means this. So what do we do? You know, you got church member X and church member Y, and you've got family members over here, and, and you've got your prayer language, okay? And, and you get into your prayer area, and you just start getting so worked up, and, and you just start praying, and you've got all these emotions, and you've got all these feelings, and, and, and all of these things just begin to come forth from you, and you don't understand it. Paul said, listen, that is unfruitful, so, so what do you do with a situation like this? Well, he said, here's what I will do. He said, I will pray with the Spirit, I will pray with the Spirit. Paul, I thought you just spoke against that. That's not what Paul spoke against. What Paul spoke against was being so emotionally charged that you work yourself into a frenzy, so to speak, where you begin to say things that you don't begin to understand. But Paul never suggested that there were not seasons of passion and feeling and emotion in a person's prayer life. You understand this, right? If you don't understand it, I think you will by the end of this little questionnaire or scenario. Have there ever been times in your spiritual life where you had your time of prayer and if you were just honest, you'd have to say there was not a lot of emotion involved in that process? Just kind of, for lack of better words, routine. You knew you needed to pray. You knew that you needed to have that time of fellowship with God in prayer. And so you knelt in prayer or however, whatever posture you take as you pray. You began to pray and you prayed for this and you prayed for this and you prayed for this, whatever it may be. And as you did so, you got up and you didn't feel like you were drained emotionally. That's happened to most of us, right? In fact, that's how it happens probably for most of us most of the time. We have our prayer time and we feel good about it and then we go on our way because we have had that time with God. But at the same time, in our spiritual lives, how many of us have ever gone to the Lord and we have been so burdened and so overwhelmed that certainly there was a completely different emotional feel to the time we've had in prayer? It happens, does it not? And I would imagine that for many of us, there have been those times and there have been those occasions, maybe even seasons in our prayer life, where we would come to certain subjects and we would come to certain areas of need or concern that were on our mind. And maybe there were even times that we were so overwhelmed with the burden of the moment or the situation that we didn't even know what to say. You ever been there? And about the best we could do is what the Scripture refers to as just kind of groan. Because you and I are, are there before God and we're saying things like this, God, I don't even know what to say. God, I don't even know how to present this to you right now. I mean, Lord, it, it, it's, well, I, have you ever been there? That, too, would be praying in the Spirit where the inner man is stirred, where the inner man is, is, is somewhat worked up emotionally within themselves. But Paul said this, so what am I to do? Well, I will pray with the Spirit, 
and I will pray with the understanding also. So I may not be able to formulate everything the way I would like to formulate it, but even in the times of prayer, where the feeling is there, where the passion is there, where the emotion is there, I'll still know what I'm saying when I'm praying. I'm not going to resort to this tongue that I don't know, that I don't understand, because that would be unfruitful for me. So he said, what am I to do? Well, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. He said this, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. What does that mean? Well, again, if you've ever seen this in a charismatic church, you know that, uh, well, you know, the music can begin to appeal to the flesh. I wish we'd smile at least a little bit, okay? You don't, you don't have to act real excited, but just smile a little bit. I'm telling you, I've watched this so many times in the charismatic church I was in. It, it, it was so predictable. The choir would get up there, they'd sing, and it would be going so good. You could say, well, here we go. And it was just a matter of time, and they'd be singing the same song, no exaggeration, maybe 10, 12, 15 times. The music would get a little bit faster. The drums would beat just a little bit heavier. The bass player would get, you know, just... Get after it a little bit more. And pretty soon you knew sister so-and-so in just a minute. She's going to be twirling in just a few minutes. Brother so-and-so is going to be jumping across the front of the church. And, and, and it was just predictable. You could watch it and you had people dancing over here. You had people flopping around over here. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, it, it was just comical. And me and my buddies would sit on the back row of the church and just laugh about it. Because you knew who was going to get kick-started, so to speak, by the music. And at the end of the night, they had no idea what had provoked or prompted any of it. It is fun to watch. And I guess for some, it's even fun to participate in. But the Apostle Paul said this, that's not happening with me. Because that's not how it's supposed to work. It's not all about the feeling and the emotion and the passion. And yet Paul said he would sing with the Spirit. You see, when people get all worked up and excited and they're twirling and their bun falls out and their hair begins to twirl, all right, you call that the helicopter, okay? I'm just saying that that's what it was. They'd also begin... Oh, anyways, if they'd had cell phone back in their day, I would have videoed it and I would have shared it and it would have been great. But nonetheless, Paul said, I'm going to sing with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means this, I can have emotion when I sing. I can have feeling when I sing and and I can have passion about what it is I'm singing. Let's just be honest. Sometimes our singing could use a little bit more passion and a little bit more feeling. I mean, sometimes we could use a little bit more emotion, not something that we've conjured up, not something that we're manufacturing. But let's be honest. Sometimes if we would just think about the words that we're singing, it would move us to a point where we might even say, thank you, Lord, or praise the Lord, or, or hallelujah. We, we might get excited and not look so bored sometimes when we're singing. 
So Paul said, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'm going to pray in the Spirit, but I'm going to pray with understanding. And he said, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Whenever the Spirit moves and whenever I begin to sing, you can know for sure I'll know what it is I'm singing by way of praises to God. I won't get done with a wonderful song and not have any idea what I've just declared. Well, why is that so important? Verse number 16. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, or praise with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? See, if you get all worked up in the moment, if you get all geared up and you get yourself worked into a frenzy and he says now you're blessing and praising and doing all these wonderful things but you're doing it in the spirit as a result of the emotion and the passion but he said no one knows what you're saying he said how shall he that occupieth or filleth the room of the unlearned they don't know what it is you're saying how can they say amen and confirm what it is you've said at thy giving of thanks, because sings how they don't understand what thou sayest. Imagine tonight for just a moment if we had, again, a foreigner in our midst, and I asked them to pray, and they prayed in their original tongue. They prayed in their original language, their original dialect. Whenever they got done, you wouldn't know whether to say amen or I don't agree with that. Right? If someone stood before us tonight and they sang a beautiful song, I mean, it had a great melody, a great pitch, and, and everything blended and, and went and the way it was supposed to. I mean, if they did that, but we didn't understand what it was, we couldn't say amen to it. So you've got this church setting, and you've got some in Corinth who apparently they were getting all excited, and they'd start praying in the Spirit, and you've got other people over here, and they're going to sing in the Spirit. And Paul said, now, now listen, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it's supposed to happen. You pray with understanding. You sing with understanding. And when you give thanks or, or when you praise, you give understanding as well. That is how people are, are able to say amen. So notice what he says in verse number 17. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. What does Paul seem to be worried about? The edification of the church. This is not about you when you come to the house of God. So you come to the house of God and, and everything's going good and the music's playing and the rhythm's good and the piano player's getting it after it or getting after it and the drummer's doing good and the bass player's getting good. Hey, hey, remember, it's not about you. And so if you get carried away because of your emotions and your passion and your zeal, whatever you want to call it, he said, listen, when you start doing that, he said, it has not edified anyone in the church. So he says in verse number 18, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. What does that mean, Paul? It means this. I'm able to speak more languages or different dialects than any of you. Paul apparently had the gift, he had the ability to communicate with several different language groups or several different dialects. And yet notice what he said in verse number 9. Yet in the church, 
I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now follow this principle here for just a moment. Not everything is as it seems, correct? So imagine for just a moment, tonight I said to you, you will be listening to about 10,000 words. Some of you would be like, okay, crud, how, how long is that going to take? Does he talk fast? Does he talk slow? How long is this going to take, 10,000 words? Just so you know, roughly that's about 50 minutes. So you're only going to get about 7,500 tonight, okay? But if I said to you, we're going to have someone come in and they're going to preach, and they're going to preach probably about 45 to 50 minutes. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. I'm sure there's only one catch to all this. We won't understand a word they're saying. Well, how impressive is that all of a sudden? It's not impressive at all. I don't mean to be repetitive, but I, I, I want to say this again. It would do you and I no good whatsoever to sit and listen to 10,000 words that we don't understand. It would not benefit us. It would not help us. We wouldn't be encouraged. We wouldn't be strengthened. We wouldn't be reproved, rebuked. None of that would happen if we don't understand it. And so Paul said, you know, I could speak to you in 10,000 words, and, and I could go for a long time, and, and I could say many wonderful things. But if it's not understood, then again, what good does it do? Because it's not communicated anything to you. If I have not communicated to you some kind of truth, some kind of, uh, of help from the Word of God, then it does not matter how big and impressive and elaborate it may be. It was a waste of time. And so here's what Paul said as it related to tongues and his gift of speaking, his gift of prophesying. He said this, you know what I would rather do? He's using a little bit of hyperbole here, all right? He said, you know what I would rather do? He said, I would rather speak to you five words that you understood as opposed to 10,000 words you don't understand. Now, you would love it if I came to church tonight and I said, listen, I've just got five words for you. Like, Sweet, we're getting out of here early. But what is Paul saying? Paul is saying this. I had rather speak five words with my understanding. Me know what I'm saying. Me know what I'm communicating. And doing so to you, for what reason? That by my voice, I might teach others also. Well, what is happening when he's teaching others also? He is edifying them and not himself. Isn't the continuity of the scripture wonderful here? It is. It, it, it's wonderful, okay? So Paul said, I would rather speak five words with my understanding, knowing what it is I'm presenting, and you being able to understand it as well, that I might teach others than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue where you don't know what's being communicated. 
If a preacher, myself, or anyone else said tonight, I've got 10,000 words for you that you won't understand, or I've got five words for you that you will understand and that you will be helped by, you will be taught something, even with just five simple words, here's what every one of you know, that though that's not how we would typically think, less would actually be more in a scenario like that. Now, as we think about all that, think about the bigger picture here in what Paul is communicating. He is saying this, among other things, in verse number 19. It's not always about the size or the magnitude of the gift that is being used. Sometimes it has more to do with how that gift is being used. And that becomes more significant and has more impact than what appears to be a larger usage of the gift. 10,000 words are great, but five words that people understand is actually better than all the words that people don't understand. So what is the context? It's all about tongues. I'm not going to pray some unintelligible words that I don't understand. I'll pray in the Spirit and I'll sing in the Spirit, but I'm going to do so with understanding. I'm going to bless and I'm going to praise the Lord with the Spirit, but I will do so with understanding. Because if I don't, then I'm not going to be able to help anyone. They'll not be able to say amen. I'm going to, to use this gift that I have in the most effective manner. Because it's about using the gift properly, not impressively. Now again, the continuity of Scripture is wonderful. Why is it wonderful? Because when you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Paul begins writing about the subject of gifts, what does he say? He essentially says this, there is no such thing as an unimportant gift. You can't say, well, because I'm not the eye, I'm not a part of the body. You can't say, well, because I'm not this or I'm not this, I'm not a part of the body. No, you are as much a part of the body with this gift as this person is with this gift. And so now we come to chapter 14, and he is basically communicating the same truth just from a different angle, that it's not always about what is the perceived size of the gift, but it is how you use the gift that makes the gift significant and effective. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but that is encouraging to me. Well, why is that encouraging to you, Brother Kyle? It is encouraging to me for this reason. If we're not careful, we get hung up sometimes on the size of the gift. Sometimes, if we're not careful, I know this is somewhat review, but we're going to go here anyways. Sometimes, if we're not careful, here's what we believe. This gift that I possess is insignificant. It's not important. It doesn't matter if I use this gift or not. 
and the size of the gift, the perceived importance of the gift, has nothing to do with whether or not our gift is a benefit or a help or a blessing. It is when we take whatever gift we have been given and we use it effectively that God is able to bless and edify others because of us being obedient to do with our gift what we are able to do with that gift. You see this? Somebody says, how long are we going to be here? Aren't your 7,500 words almost up? Almost, okay. Some of you think I'm just being hard on you. You can't see some of the facial expressions I'm getting right now, okay? But think about this. It's very possible that 35 years ago there was a bus worker in Wichita, Kansas, saying, what good is this? I go to work all week. I make the visits on Saturday. I try to pick up the kids on Sunday. Sometimes the numbers are good. Sometimes the numbers are bad. We stop by this house. Five kids get on the bus, but it doesn't seem like it's making much of an impact. We're not having any inroads with the family. What good is all this? Well, 35 years later, there's a man going to the field of Thailand to tell others about the gospel of Jesus Christ because somewhere in Wichita, Kansas, there was someone who had a gift. I don't know how big it was. I don't know how impressive it was, but someone had a gift and they just stuck with it. And it is significant, not only to the one who got saved, but to the others who will be saved because of the person who was faithful to use their gift. So in eight or nine months, another missionary will go to the field of Japan Because in Joshua, Texas, wherever that's at, some bus worker just stayed faithful to use that gift to pick up kids. And now that child has grown and married and is going to tell others about Jesus Christ. I find this passage encouraging because it tells me And it tells every one of you, our responsibility is not not to sit around and say, well, my gift is only this. So it won't even produce that much. Well, my gift is only this, so it's not even going to help anything. Paul said five words used the right way could help people more than 10,000 words used the wrong way. All you and I have to do is just be obedient to use whatever gift we have. And if we are doing it for the glory and the honor of the Lord, we are doing it to edify Him and not ourselves, then we have no idea and we have no understanding just how big and, and significant our contribution to the kingdom of God may be. So if you've been looking at your little gift thinking, why am I even messing with it? You're messing with it because it's going to have an impact on someone somewhere. And that's why you need to keep being faithful with it. 
And if you'd look at yourself and you'd say, you know, I really haven't been exercising my gift because I thought it wasn't that big of a deal, I just want to remind you, you have no idea how that could help someone else. You have no idea how that could be a blessing to someone else. And, and it could be you who stands before God one day and God could say, look at what was accomplished because of you utilizing the gift I gave you. Friends, that ought to encourage every one of us and it ought to challenge every one of us to say, Lord, however you can use me, I want you to use me because I want to have an impact one way or another in the kingdom of God. All right? So I'll stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us tonight to realize things are not always as they seem. And so, Lord, it doesn't have to be the big gift. It doesn't have to be the impressive gift to be the one that makes the most impact in a person's life. And, God, for the one who's been discouraged, for the one who's not seen the fruit that they'd like to see because they're trying to be faithful, I pray that you'd remind them tonight that what they're doing is important to someone. And most importantly, it is important to you. And God, if there's someone here tonight and they've not been using their gift for whatever reason, I pray that you'd show them just how needed they are, how important that gift is, and that they would begin using it. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.